Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 276 for Monday, December 18th, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him as the Flying Slime Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. <laughs> that that's, sounds like a martial arts school, the uh, you know fist of the flying slime <laughs> or something like that. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, get, getting squishy over on the survival guide this week but uh, in the meantime we've been talking about uh, the future and where tv and film franchises could take it along with a little bit of chat about vr and the potential of that technology you can hear that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks if you sign up to be a paid patron of the show you get access to the render distance which is the extended version of the podcast a little bit of pre and post show chat every episode and it's uh, occasionally worth listening to because we have some insightful thoughts about the state of things and usually just what we've been up to that week uh, today's episode we're going to dip into the mailbag and focus Focus on the community and you folks sending in your opinions on Minecraft and ideas for the future of Minecraft. We're also going to do the same thing next Monday, because if you check your calendars, next month is December 25th, which to those who celebrate is Christmas. So we are still going to have an episode out. It's going to be pre-recorded and it's nice and easy for us to dip into the uh, extra Santa-sized uh, mail sack to uh, pull out a couple of emails that we can talk about next week as well. After that, we've already pre-recorded an episode that's going to go out on January 1st, and that's a fantastic chat with Archaeoplays, who came back to talk to us about archaeology now. It's been in the game for a little while. So, got a couple of great episodes to look forward to. Stay tuned for those in your feed, and then we'll be back in January on the 8th for the regular schedule. In the meantime, for our patrons, our monthly patron hangout will also be back in January. We're skipping December because we usually do these at the end of the month, and Joel and I will be spending some time with our families. You can also expect a quarterly hangout towards the end of January, beginning of February when the quarter ends. So Joel and I will be taking the next couple of weeks off. We'll still be hanging around, dipping into the Discord here and there, but those pre-recorded episodes will still be going out on December 25th and January 1st. So this week, I really have not been spending a lot of time in Minecraft. Uh, I'm still working on updating some mods and, and data packs in the background, and the West Hill River sculpting is slow going and just more of the same. So there really isn't a lot to talk about in, in that realm. So what have you been up to in Minecraft this week? This week, uh, and you'll hear a little bit about this on the Archaeoplays episode in a couple of weeks as well, uh, I have been setting up a plot-based tree farm. I got sick of just spreading pods all, all around the front yard outside of my, my starter house and my storage room, so I decided to formalize the area where I gather wood, and I do that quite frequently because you always need wood for stuff. I'm always thinking about how I can use it in certain builds, and I like to have a stockpile of it so I don't have to drop everything and go and farm trees for three hours when I want to get started on a, on a project. Uh, so I decided to set up this plot-based tree farm with effectively a similar sized area for each of the different wood types. And it started off with just the oak, birch, and acacia, because those are the ones that you can grow single trees of and they don't really have any benefit for growing them in different shapes and sizes. Behind that, I did a row for the 2 by 2 trees, so dark oak has to be grown that way, and spruce wood and jungle, you get more leaves and saplings and ultimately more wood out of growing them in a 2 by 2 so I find that beneficial. And then behind that is the, uh, the more abstract wood types, which is, I guess, cherry, because it grows in weird formations, and so it's difficult to plot out exactly when the branches are going to abstract the other trees below from growing. Then you have 
the warped and crimson fungus from the nether because those require a field of nylium on which to grow so you can't exactly mix them in with the other trees and I wanted to have a formal place to put that and farm the mushrooms and everything else. And then finally a big old square for mangrove because that takes up a lot of space and I tend to grow them in a diagonal line so that they don't end up deleting the saplings next to them when I'm trying to grow them from propagules. All of this is connected up, or at least the spaces in between each of these plots have a series of connected waterways, and that cascades downhill. So this is built on a slope, and the idea is that I can throw in logs as I go from basically any of these tree plots, and they'll all end up going to the same place, which is a set of shelker box loaders. It just goes around in a circle, delivering the uh, delivering the logs to a set of hoppers that filter the logs and each of those filters gets fed into uh, a mechanism that's constantly loading in new shulker boxes every time an old one fills up and it drops the full shulker boxes into a barrel that I can just go and collect them when I'm done tree farming. So with some of these I doubt I will produce a full shulker box of wood particularly often but let's say I want to come back here and I'm just looking to get birch wood because I have a big thing I want to do with stripped birch logs. I can throw a couple of shulker boxes in there you know, go to town on some birch trees for a while and then come away with as many shulker boxes as I want to load up. Um, it's a long-term thing for the world, which is something I haven't been thinking about too much aside from my storage system. And it's a big project, like it takes up a lot of space. But the landscape of my world is rolling enough and there are enough hills and stuff that you can't see this from my starter base, even though it is relatively close by it's only on the other side of the, the mountain from my storage system but it, it just gets obscured by the roll of the hills and uh, it's actually fairly discreet where it is kind of next to the uh, the fishing shack i set up in the early game it never ceases to amaze me how big manual tree farms end up being you know because you you want to have it so that when you're chopping down trees manually the saplings that you've planted will be growing up as you're chopping which means you've got to be chopping in the area long enough for that sapling to be loaded and then potentially grow yeah so you need like plots to be like roughly the size of what you have which they're what you know look like 11 by 11 or 14 by 14 something like that yeah close and, to that yeah but then when you start multiplying that by all the different wood types in the game all of a sudden you're dealing with you know 50 60 70 by 70 blocks you know and i love the canal idea like that's something that i find tedious about collecting a lot of items you know whether you're looking for stone or you're looking for you're do doing any kind of branch mining whatever it is it 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 always seems to be an inconvenience despite the fact that you can zip back with elytra and drop stuff in a chest that you have to do that every so often when you just kind of want to plow through and get it done and i love the idea of just walking up to a waterway just completely emptying your inventory of whatever you know related blocks are in your filter and then just like, all right, cool. I just had an inventory full of all kinds of different logs and now it's empty and I can just keep on chopping. Yeah. And, and it also makes a cool project and it looks fun. And uh, I, I'm a sucker for water transportation. I think I prefer it over just about any mode of moving items around in the game just because it looks so much fun. Yeah, yeah, and you've done stuff in the past with more complicated waterways and like switching the points, basically like switching the direction that the water's going to flow to sort items and stuff. Oh yeah, and, yeah, like, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, like I, I could get into stuff like that, and in this case, it was a great way to, you know, explain a few other mechanics that are useful in storage systems. All of my storage so far has been hopper directed. It's all been, you know, 
lines of hoppers going around the entire room, which in the case of my storage room is like 128 item filters plus the other hoppers that you need to put in in the middle to connect those as they change orientation in the room. And so, yeah, this felt like a, a breath of fresh air by comparison. It felt right to do it by natural means, considering it's a natural-feeling tree farm. And I, I really appreciated the suggestion that I got from my Twitch chat when I was setting this up of using terracotta to outline the waterways because it feels like plant pot material. It's, you know, the same oh, color as yeah. you know, decorated pots and flower pots that are already in the game. So I think it's a nice way of implying some decoration and implying some infrastructure that feels like you know effectively this could almost be a greenhouse but on a macro scale you know it's it's kind of like little little planting areas like seedlings or whatever but they still grow into these these massive plants the other thing which is more difficult to see from the screenshot i've provided but you can sort of see it at the back is i've set up an area with a uh, set of note blocks that will chime and composters underneath those so that at the back where the mangrove and the nether trees are uh, i can have some allays flying around and give them the different blocks as i farm the different materials so that they can compost the nether wart and warped wart blocks for me and all of the nether foliage that i'm not turning into more giant fungus and they can farm all of the um the mangrove leaves for me so because those don't drop saplings except the propagules that hang from below them so i can get all of those composted for me as well and that is going to make the whole project a lot easier but i only needed them for those three wood types so i just needed to have the allay thing at the back and it doesn't have to interfere with the running of the rest of the farm you know i can just chop away at everything else manually and i'll get all the saplings back that i need so I'm looking forward to using that. Going to use it a bit this week because naturally Chopping Tuesday is coming up and that's my usual routine. But uh, now I need to go and get more shulker boxes because, of course, I've got 10 different wood types represented here. I haven't done anything with bamboo yet because I'm going to make a, you know, sweeping flying machine farm for that with a much larger bamboo field. Um, and that will be near this, but not necessarily part of the tree farm because it's really a different kind of thing. Maybe even waiting for the crafter before I do anything too intensive with that. But uh, yeah, now I've got 10 shulker box loaders with, I think, only one shulker box each <laughs> at the moment because I just didn't have enough shells to make more. So I think a trip to the end is probably on the cards for me this week as well. Any plans to make a shulker farm? Eventually, yes, but for now, no. And I recognize that as I go out to these end cities and keep, you know, killing shulkers, I'm probably diminishing my chances of getting one that's easy to take back to the overworld. Um, but right. yeah, I, I think I think sooner or later I will set up a shulker farm. It seems like a natural thing to do, but it also feels like a very advanced thing to do and something that removes a pretty major hurdle in terms of, well, now these shulker boxes are abundant. Like all of the farm designs I've seen, you get a full double chest in a matter of a couple of hours and then you never really need to touch it again. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm playing in a way that's trying not to eliminate the scarcity of those things completely at this stage in the game because i still don't have farms for a lot more stuff that i would consider less advanced than shulker boxes so i'm sort of biding my time on that one and waiting for the right time to introduce it you know as long as we've been playing on the citadel we still have manual tree farms uh, i tend to chop down spruce as my type of wood for any kind of utility chests yeah. for hoppers like all that kind of stuff sticks that kind of thing uh, but then the other wood types like it's really just been azalea mangrove and um dark oak was more of a thing that we did in the 
modern city, but again, it's just a manual plot. I just took one of the blocks of the city that was underdeveloped and just turned it into a, a manual temporary tree farm. And like I said earlier, it was big enough where you'd have probably two dozen dark oak trees spaced out a bit and they're spaced out on purpose so that you get lots of saplings when the leaves decay. And you just kind of go through a rhythm of starting on one side. And by the time you're done, you know, the, the final tree, there's just a ton of saplings on the ground because the leaves have had time to decay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's one of those things where I, I don't, I haven't decided if the work that goes into the, the automatic tree farms that use TNT is, is worth it. Like you'd have to have one, a massive project that would need a lot of wood, but then two, you, I feel like a lot of the times people use TNT duping for those. And we don't have that on the server. We decided that we'd rather stick, stay away from that and just go with manual TNT. And I have a TNT farm like that, which I manually supply with TNT. And that's for concrete in Southport, the modern city zone. And uh, as a result, like we're a lot more careful with the concrete that we use and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I'm always on the fence about building a, a, uh, an automatic tree farm. And I think too, that once you kind of get good at and efficient at harvesting trees manually, it's not that big a deal. You know, like it's, it's something that you can do quite easily. Once you know a couple of tricks, I I really like the, the trick where you put, uh, the two by two spruce down, uh, saplings down for a, a large spruce tree. And then you throw a ender pearl straight up and then you bone meal the the sapling and the tree grows before the ender pearl comes down and you end up landing on the top of the tree and then you just mine straight down after that yeah and and i i mean i find it super super fast to like i can get in 10 minutes i can get like 10 stacks of wood like it's it's really quite quite easy and i think it's the other trees that i i i think like man maybe i should get like a, a an automatic tree farm for things like mangrove or or um cherry or some of the things that are a little bit harder to to get um or even just like a plot because we have plots on the citadel but it's such an old area that people have built up around it and now we don't have room to add cherry trees um i think maybe somebody added mangrove or maybe cherry i can't remember but it there's some bigger trees now and things in the game where we just can't add them and i don't think we have room for crimson and warped stuff in that area and it would also look kind of funny like i mean it you've got yours tucked in the back but the way that ours is decorated in dartmouth meadows like putting those in there would be kind of weird and actually this leads me to another question i wanted to ask you because you're focusing on getting the warped hyphae and the crimson stems and all that kind of stuff right yes yeah yeah, yeah. so i built cosmic on our server a shifting floor design so you don't get the full mushroom trees. It's for everything else. It's for like the fungi and the and the mushrooms and the um the the little stuff on the ground. Yeah, the like so sprouts any, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, sprouts and stuff. Do you have any plans for like an additional thing just for that stuff, or are you getting enough from this that you can then use that for other things? That's something I plan to add to the back of this farming setup is just a small area right. that will do both because it's one of those things where you can set up half of it as one type of nylium and half of it as the other type and have it basically produce both types of foliage. Um, so so we, I, I will probably add one of those as a separate example of a 
of, of a mechanic that I, di I didn't want to include in, in the video that I was doing all of this stuff. But yeah, that's definitely on the cards. I think uh, it's a much better way of farming the fungus than just bone milling a large patch of nylium. Like you want to be able to plant that stuff out as deliberately as you do saplings and then, you know, chop them all down in one go instead of switching tasks constantly. It feels like you can concentrate on one thing, just use one tool. You're using your time and your energy a bit more efficiently that way. So yeah, that is that is the ultimate plan. Um and eventually we will uh we'll get around to adding that. But for the moment it's uh it's not there yet. But then again neither is the bamboo farm. So plenty of stuff I can add to this later. Moving on into the news, since the last time that we were here, the Armadillo has rolled into testing. An early version of the Armadillo is coming to testing in Minecraft Bedrock Edition Preview and Beta and the Java Edition Snapshot this holiday season. We'll have an article uh, describing those plans uh, in our show notes this week and also a link to Minecraft Bedrock Edition Preview 1.20.60.23. That was published on December 13th. Changes in this preview, they've added the armadillo. It's a neutral mob, which spawns in the savanna biomes. It drops armadillo scoots periodically, which can be crafted into wolf armor. Players can also get these scoots by brushing an armadillo using the brush tool. This can even be automated by having a dispenser use the brush on an armadillo. They eat and breed with spider eyes. Gross. When an armadillo detects a threat, it rolls up. Examples of threats include sprinting players players on a mount or in a vehicle, and undead mobs like zombies and skeletons. It does not roll up if it's fleeing, in water, in the air, or if being led. When an armadillo is rolled up, it does not walk, it cannot eat, and will not be tempted by food. It continues to scan for threats, and if there are no threats detected for three seconds, it will unroll. Players can equip adult tamed wolves with wolf armor. Only a wolf's owner can put wolf armor on their tamed wolf. And with this in mind, dispensers cannot put wolf armor on wolves. This armor can be removed from a wolf using shears. Only a wolf's owner can shear wolf armor from it. And with this in mind, dispensers cannot remove wolf armor from wolves. Wolf armor gives the same protection as diamond horse armor. If a wolf dies while wearing armor, it will drop the armor. Bedrock Edition Preview 1.20.60.23 also contains a bunch of gameplay tweaks and bugs fixes, but the full list of those can be found on the changelog at minecraft.net, which is also linked in our show notes this week. Uh, breaking news has actually happened whilst we've been gearing up for this news segment. Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 23W51A has just arrived and brings the armadillo, armadillo scoots, and wolf armor along with it. They are functionally the same, so we won't give you the same news read again. Uh, the header of this article does say this is the first snapshot for Minecraft 1.20.5, so there might be some bug fixes and whatnot added for this as well, but a lot of the changes seem to be to do with experimentation features including the armadillo so we will link that in our show notes as well but it doesn't seem to contain anything that we wouldn't have already put in the bedrock edition news read and with that said we also discussed the armadillo briefly on the episode that will be coming out on january 1st so if we retread any of this or if you feel like you know there's a a two-week echo in the room um when it comes to the uh, january 1st episode then you're just going to get our opinions twice uh, on some of this stuff although we'll try and keep it a little bit more um you know fresh this week but it, we've already kind of given our first impressions on an episode you will hear later 
But in the meantime, we get to talk about it now. So how do you feel about the armadillo so far now that we've seen it in action in game, Joel? So I haven't looked at it myself uh, in game, but uh, I have watched uh, Exumavoid's video. Uh, one of the ways I usually catch up on snapshot stuff is watching X's content and because I find it very thorough. And uh, I like the detail that that they went into on it. I I feel like it. I mean, it, it looks like and feels like it's still in production. You know, like I, I think it's a very good first draft. I'll confess that I'm not super excited for the armadillo. So if I seem like I'm a little negative on it, it's not that it's, I think it's, you know, a bad mob. I just, I'm not super keen on it or, or I'm not excited about it. I guess I should say, uh, because I don't know if it really offers much for me as a, as an end game, kind of like late game, long-term world player. Um, but from a cartoonist perspective, from a, an artist and a designer, I, uh, I think it's cute. You know, like I think the scale of it, the color of it, um, the, the idea of its behavior, I think is, is really interesting. And, uh, I, I remember seeing some concept art from a few weeks ago where it had more of a 3d look, like, I think it had like a bigger shoulder area. And then I, I think it had, um, a third dimension to the ears, much like wolves and piglins have. And I hope they go back that way. Uh, I think there's something that gets lost for me in the way that the ears are kind of pointed up and are be, they're they're eclipsed by the size of the armadillo body because of how um blocky minecraft has to be and how the the body has to be like a giant box essentially and because the ears don't break that silhouette they do kind of get lost and i think by adding a third dimension to them they would probably be a little bit more distinct and stand out more so there's that uh, I, um, I know that armadillo ears, and this is being a little bit realist, but I, I, armadillo ears, I believe are pointy in, in real life. I kind of wonder whether they could turn a, a shape, like a, a shape on its edge. So like, instead of the top of the ears being flat, like a, a box or a cube, I kind of wonder if they turn the ears a little bit on an angle so that the highest point of the ear is actually the, the vert, like the, where the vertices of a, of a 3D shape meet as opposed to a flat surface, mm -hmm. right? That could be um, something that might help it look a little bit more pointy. Um, but other than that, like, I, I think it's it's neat. I thought it was a little bit weird that it didn't tuck its head in when it rolled up. Like, again, that's but that's like the I've mentioned this before. That's like the, the cartoonist brain, you know, going like wanting this thing to roll up into a ball and roll forward like you see in cartoons. Um, and and I think that it's I, I know it's in some way it's realistic because that's what armadillos. They can't roll, but they they do tuck themselves up entirely to protect themselves. Um, but I think, I think that there's something where you can, you can take some creative liberties and do that kind of stuff in Minecraft. I don't think that everything has to be super realistic, even if it is a realistic animal in the game and, or an animal from the real world. And so I'd like to see it be more whimsical, I guess, is my, my overall vibe. But again, I'm hopeful for it because like, this is just the first, you know, iteration that we've seen. There's lots of time for changes and feedback from from people so i encourage people to be constructive and and give their feedback on it um but so far i mean it's it's unique i think in in how it acts it's not the same as the cat or the dog or you know um other animals that we've we've dealt with and contained in the past um and i think the most unique thing about it so far for me is actually that it eats spider eyes i think that's pretty cool yeah, yeah, we were speculating before about armadillos effectively being insect eaters and thinking, oh, are they going to introduce termites? You know, what else could they right. have as food? Are they yeah. just going to, like, 
completely like pull something else and just go oh they eat carrots now like that's the kind of thing do, do, do a bit more of a like a wily e. coyote cartoon kind of bugs bunny a- attempt to them but no they, they've just ended up uh you know a- an existing insect in the game technically speaking spider eyes are also edible by players so you kind of think of them as food to begin with and yeah it makes sense that the armadillo preys on at least the the pieces of existing insects there is no word on whether or not they are aggressive to spiders it seems like they're still just neutral to mobs in general for now um we speculated a little bit on the uh, the episode that's going to be released in two weeks about the potential for mob detectors that rely on the curling up behavior because they will curl up in the presence of undead mobs which include skeletons and so the mobs which previously might be you know it might affect zombies or might you know have a reaction to zombies like villagers for example are not affected by skeletons so this is the first one that really thinks undead mobs are a bad time and uh you know there's potentially stuff that you could do with mob detectors there my problem with that is that player and mob detectors all feel a bit redundant now that we have skulk sensors and calibrated skulk sensors even which uh you know act as a, a really customizable way of, of implementing anything like that. So I, I don't know if the armadillo is necessarily going to find much utility in that behavior, but I like the fact that they've A, added that as a behavior that players could play around with, not the most practical thing, but a way to use it mechanically other than just as a scute farm. And also they've added it as a characteristic because it gives the thing more personality, which I think is is kind of important for any mob that doesn't want to just fall by the wayside and be ignored by the majority of the community. Um, While you've been dwelling on the ears, I've seen a lot of community debate over whether the armadillo's eyes should be on the front or the sides of the mob. In all of the concept art that we saw of them previously, the eyes were on the sides. And when they were released in Bedrock Edition, and now it seems like in the Java snapshot as well, the eyes are on the front. And they're just two single pixel eyes, so it's not like they wrap around to the sides of the head in the same way that some other animals do. Like, I'm pretty sure the frog's eyes go around the sides. And the goat's eyes are straight up on the side of the block. You don't see the goat's eyes if you're looking directly at the head from the front. And so a few people kind of weighed in about this. And it's the the usual argument about not wanting Minecraft to be too quote-unquote realistic, but also wanting it to be consistent. And there's a bit of a disconnect between those two things. Uh, to the point where Jasper Burstra actually weighed in on Twitter, for folks who don't know, he is the, uh, the art team lead uh, at, at Mojang. And he said the eyes of the armadillo are in the front because when they are on the side you're looking at, uh, if, if you're looking straight on at the armadillo, with an empty forehead it was difficult to create a connection with it and considering that this was a mob that players would want to interact with potentially quite frequently he felt like that was important uh he also quotes uh, says its head peeks out when it's balled up because we thought it would be funny or cute but apparently people prefer realism he also said they were still looking at feedback and taking it into consideration when they continue development on the armadillo. So as you pointed out earlier, Joel, entirely possible that this is just a first pass and they're going to make some additional tweaks depending on player feedback. But the way he seemed to think of it, if they put the uh, eyes on the sides, they would get the feedback that they should be on the front. And, you know, one faction or other of the player base is going to find some issue with it regardless of, uh, you know which way they went on the decision uh people apparently gave some feedback that the goat having the eyes on the sides felt weird uh so it's kind of funny that they've reversed that decision and they're still getting feedback on it this time around i think 
this is mostly a resolution problem. Mm-hmm. There's the, the, the texture on the armadillo's head is three pixels wide. Yeah. So you really don't have a lot of room. I, I think this is something that, that does bother me a little bit. And I couldn't put my finger on it until you mentioned it in the, in the show notes. I was like, oh, that's why it looks weird. And it's because the eyes are both on, the, they're on the top of the head. And when you think about a mammal, if that was the case, like it's, it's only like <laughs> primates and cats and things yeah. like dogs, like even dogs are a little bit, a little bit more to the side. It's, but when you get into like a lot of livestock and well, any kind of prey animal, usually yeah. the eyes are on the side because they need to be able to see what's chasing them. It's prey know? animals. It's all for like field of view, basically. Like mm, it, it allows yeah. them to see more of the environment around them and potentially detect if they're being like crept up on by a predator. But then that doesn't necessarily have to translate to how they look in Minecraft because we don't know of any predators. They don't like undead mobs, but undead mobs don't attack them. So, you know, it's entirely possible that players who wanted to, yeah, adopt an armadillo effectively are going to find it more emotionally connected uh, if the armadillo is able to look directly at them, you know, I guess. Um, And yeah, I, I think goats with their eyes on the front would look weird. Honestly, it doesn't bug me that much about the armadillo. I also don't expect that this is a mob I'll interact with too much. But I yeah. I imagine the art team has at least tried putting the eyes on the sides because they've done so in the concept art. And if they decided, actually, this doesn't quite represent the mob that we want, then I trust them to make that decision, ultimately. Um, but, you know, players may end up advocating hard enough that they decide to change it and it's something that a simple resource pack would fix if anybody still has an issue with whichever version yeah. ends up in the full release so yeah not, that's fair not the uh, not the biggest of deals really um i like you have not dipped into bedrock edition to try out the armadillo but now we have a java edition snapshot i will probably do a quick video looking for them in survival seeing how they interact and then deciding for myself how i feel about their their overall behaviors but yeah i think that's that's kind of a a fun implementation of the armadillo they give you the scutes in a different way to what turtles do uh, which i think is good turtles currently you only get the scutes when they grow from a small turtle into an adult turtle and that means you end up overpopulating your world with turtles unless you want to kill them which a lot of players don't want to do because turtles are endangered in the real world and also like quite an appealing little mob um (laughs) people have no reason to kill turtles and all they give you is seagrass if you kill them so uh, I think finding a way that the armadillo doesn't have to be either bred to the point where it becomes a nuisance or slaughtered en masse or both uh, for you to acquire your wolf armor that you might want is um, yeah, a fairly sensible thing. I think that's a, that's a decent approach to it to be able to use the brush on them. Also adds another use to the brush, which I think is, is delightful to see newish features which still don't have a lot of expanded broad uses uh getting something else to add to their their column you know i agree i like i like the passive stuff i think i've compared it to the sniffer where you don't kill the sniffer for what you want you follow the sniffer around to help you find what you want yeah and the armadillo is kind of like a slight spin on that and adding the brush where if you don't want to wait you can just use the brush and and get it a lot faster and i think that's kind of an interesting way to appeal to the players that either don't have a lot of playtime, are a little bit more impatient or uh, want to have that kind of instant gratification when as soon as you find an armadillo, if you're looking for one, then you're going to be excited. And if you have to go, all right, now we just kind of stare at one another, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, until, until you drop a scoot. Uh, And I think that having the brush idea helps with that more, interactive and engaging 
you know, process of, of, of getting the scoots. How do you feel about wolf armor so far? Uh, I still think it needs more customization. I like the ability, if not different shapes or whatever, then at least different colors. Um, they have the excuse that it's made of armadillo scute and not leather, so dyeing it is maybe not as easy and you, don't, you might not get the full range of colors that you get from leather armor, but I think even if they stuck to just 16 colors, it would give players who enjoy interacting with wolves a lot more variety and a lot more fun with that. Like, you can currently dye the collars on dogs, but you can only really see that from certain angles because it's a flat thing on the front of the dog's body texture. And so I think it would be nice to have something in the same way that you're able to dress up horses in, you know, a variety of armors so that you know maybe, like, the diamond armor one is the fast horse. You know, they have different stats, sure, but people are going to get more attached to dogs. They're going to give them different names. I think giving them, like... Uh, a, a couple of different outfits at least lends to them being able to do you know whatever like Paw Patrol roleplay kind of thing with their kids just to get their kids into playing a little bit of interactive Minecraft with them I think that that makes a lot more sense to me than leaving it with just one color but again I'm I'm speaking from a position of I don't know how difficult this stuff would be to implement and and how frequently they expect players to use this versus the amount of effort they put into the feature to begin with I think if we end up getting any kind of different colors, two things that that I would imagine one or one I hope for is that they don't go the way that terracotta goes, and that if you dye something blue, you get more of a purple or vice right, versa. Right, yeah, it adds the 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 background color, the sort of base color yeah. of terracotta to whatever dye you're adding to it. Yeah, because I think for personalization, for people that want to have a green armored dog they're going to want it to be green not come some sort of swamp brown yeah, <laughs> you know uh, -huh. uh and and i think the other thing that might be um might be true is that if they do allow players to customize the armor with a color it might not be the whole thing like you might just be able to either get the trim to be a color like red and then the rest of it's going to look like armadillo scoot or vice versa maybe the trim remains armadillo scoot colored and then the uh, body of the armor, the plate sort of section becomes the part that's dyed. Because if you think about some colors like gray or white, it might be really hard to tell which arm, which wolf has armor if mm -hmm. you allowed the player to dye the whole thing a certain color. And I don't know what that would, what implications that might have other than just like not being clear that it has armor um, would be, would be weird. Um, I mean, the good news is that tamed wolves, at least for now, are all white. So most colors are going to stand off against the body of the wolf. So you're going to be able to tell pretty early on when it's got wolf armor or not. Um, I, I, I think it looks kind of overly complex on the wolf. I, I think it could be maybe a, a simpler silhouette. Um, I, uh, it, it, right at a distance right now, it just looks like a, a wolf with spots, like a dog with spots, like a border collie in like it doesn't really read his armor. Yeah. So I don't know what they might want to do to change that. I, and th maybe it's because it's all one scoot color that it doesn't read very well. Maybe the armor itself needs to have some high contrast where you're like, okay, spots on animals don't look like that. You know, that that obviously is something on the dog or on the wolf uh, rather than than um, just part of the texture. The other thing I've seen a lot of people debating is its effectiveness because there is evidence, at least, that it can't survive a creeper explosion. Um, I, the the thing the thing about this for me is also creeper explosions vary dependent on difficulty, right? So if you're playing on easy and you're running around with a wolf and a creeper blows up near it, and it, I think the damage is also 
dependent on the distance you are from the creeper as well. So there's a much broader range than I think people are testing for when they go, can it survive a creeper? And then they just drop a creeper into the same block as a wolf on hard difficulty, which does, I think, like, you know, 30 hearts of damage or something like that. And then they go, no, okay, it can't, it dies. Um, but I think, yeah, it, the, the, for the type of gameplay that you're expected to bring a wolf hunting with you or whatever, um, I think it's at least good that they have some extra defense and wolves can be healed instantly by feeding them stuff like rotten flesh. So if this thing attacks a zombie, the zombie hits it back a couple of times, it's probably going to win that fight. And then you can give it the rotten flesh the zombie drops to heal it up a little bit and it has a better chance at survival overall. So I don't think it's necessarily a a bad thing that it exists. I don't think it's a waste as such. Um, I just think, yeah, like, I, I think people are going to have to go into it with realistic expectations that this armor is not going to make your dog invulnerable to damage. You're still not going to take it into an ancient city. It's going to get killed by the warden. But you know that already because you've been to an ancient city or you've seen the, the warden and you know to be cautious around that stuff. I think this is an interesting new feature and given our conversation last week about flyover features i wonder what mojang will do to help wolf armor and the armadillo not be that yeah so i'm i'm curious as to what they're going to do uh hopefully optimistic you know because uh, the voting is over this is what's happening and i you know like y you can't complain necessarily about new stuff being added to the game because there's something for everyone in minecraft so even though the armadillo is not for me uh, from a perspective of game development and, and you know, just interesting ideas that Mojang tends to come up with, I'm just curious to see where they're going to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to move on into chunk mail. We've got plenty to read this week because this is our chunk mail dispenser episode. So I'm going to start with this first one. If you'd like to email the show at this point, you're probably going to get your email read in the new year, but keep them short and sweet and we'll be picking some out of the mailbag fairly shortly. The email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Send them in. Uh, the first one comes in from Shadow Falling this week. Shadow Falling is a landscape artist member of our patron Discord, and the subject is a desolate landscape. Hi, Johnny and Joel. With the recent updates to Minecraft Underground in terms of structures, I've been wondering if the surface of the world is beginning to feel disproportionately desolate. Ancient cities, trial chambers, strongholds, and abandoned mineshafts are all large, sprawling structures that suggest the presence of a bustling and thriving civilization. The surface, however, gives the impression of a much more sparsely developed world. Do you think the overworld structures need to be reworked to match the development of underground ones? I think more surface ruins of larger structures like towns and cities would fit in well. Shadow Falling fell off the edge of the world, looking for a long-lost civilization. So while I can follow Shadow Falling's line of thinking here, I think the overworld is sparsely populated with large structures on purpose. It's got some life in villages, but they're low profile. Pilger outposts are not a really big build. And there's a few other key structures like jungle temples and desert temples and stuff like that. But I think it's meant to feel like a blank canvas to encourage imagination and reinforce sandbox gameplay. Like I think players are going to, are wanting to be encouraged to build the things that shadow falling is talking about finding in the world. And I think there's that line between if you were playing an RPG, you know, like an Elden ring or, or a Zelda or whatever, you'd want to find these ruins around. Like you'd absolutely want to stumble upon that kind of stuff. 
but I think that in in Minecraft having things like the trail ruins exist but you only get to see the top of them and then you have to dig them out the cool thing is that if you are not interested in trail ruins then you really are not going to have them be something that impedes you know your vision you know i think ultimately players would have to remove things like this if they didn't want them like if i found the perfect spot for a modern city and there was a giant ruin of a castle that Minecraft had generated in this perfect kind of waterfall area that I wanted to use as a modern city or a sci-fi build or something. I would just have to remove it. And I think that that's the opposite of what, you know, they want players to have as, a, as an emotional reaction to the world. You want, to, you want to find something and go, oh, that's really cool. Not, man, that's in the way. Yeah. Right? Like, I think that's two different, complete, you know, completely different moves when it comes to that kind of stuff. And while it can still happen, but removing something like a jungle temple or a pillager outpost doesn't take very long, right? Like they're not overly large builds. And you, if you really are, you know, feeling like it's in the way, then you can get rid of it. I mean, even less so with, with a trail ruin. Like if you don't need to dig a, like down into the ground, you can just chop the top off of it or, you know, pave over it with whatever you, whatever block you want and forget it's there, you know, and there's just no harm, no foul, right? Um, I think that they could use a little bit of an update though, because, you know, when you stumble upon a jungle temple or a desert temple, um, granted we've got archeology span now in the, in the desert temple. So there's been some changes there, but I, I feel like, uh, in some cases more so the jungle temple really could use some updates, you know, like, I feel like that could have a different block palette, a combination of some of the newer blocks and some of the different things that have been introduced to Minecraft over the years to make it feel like a little bit more of a cool discovery. I'm not saying make it bigger. I'm just saying maybe make it more complex or maybe have a variety of them available uh, in the same way that we have a variety of, of available trail ruins and other structures in the game. Um, there are big structures like woodland mansions are big, but they're quite rare, like, like thousands of blocks apart. It's not like they're everywhere. And the next biggest structure that came to mind in the overworld is the ocean monument, but they're underwater. Yeah. So it's unlikely that they're going to be, you know, in the way of, of what you're doing. Um, and chances are you're actually wanting to find an ocean monument, not the other way around. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there are some folks who play, there's a lot of different play styles at work here. Like there are, there are people who decide to take over a structure like that and turn it into their base, which if they don't feel like doing a lot of building or if they want to do like a effectively a renovation project or something like that, they can do that. But a lot of players I find don't tend to think of pre-existing structures as, oh, here's a fun jumping off point to start building from. Like some players want to get rid of that blank canvas feeling that you get by looking at a plains biome, but most people you know, if you start a fresh Minecraft world or if you start a world where you're building something else them thematically, you start a new project in the same world, you've got a theme in mind already. And that's not necessarily going to match where the, the, the Minecraft build style goes. You know, if you want to build something sci-fi, you know, having a woodland mansion there is not going to help. There's nothing in Minecraft that encourages you to build outside of that sort of uh, fantasy medieval sort of style. Um, and existing surface structures never really match the scale of what I want to do either. Like, if I'm building a desert civilization, after I'm done building something like that, the desert pyramids are going to be relatively small structures by comparison, <laughs> because I will want to build something much larger or a, la a much larger settlement around it. 
Um, and so, yeah, I find that stuff like jungle temples and, and those structures don't necessarily match the scale of what I want to do. We have had a couple of patron hangouts where somebody in our community, and I forget who, so apologies to them, uh, has been taking the pillager outpost towers and effectively making them pillars and, and watchtowers around a wall for a much larger castle. And that's an example of where you can take those structures as a jumping off point and use them as inspiration. But I don't think they're doing that at the, the actual site of a pillager outpost because then you just have pillagers spawning around your base all of the time and you probably don't want that. Um, and I find that when Python and I did the Harmony series back in the day, we had a, a mod or two in there that included a bunch of additional surface structures and features. We ended up building in a place that had none of those because we wanted to build something from scratch. And I feel like sometimes additional builds like that i mean if they're ruins fair enough they're not necessarily going to feel intimidating in terms of what you can build but larger structures in general often take the wind out of your sails as a builder because you're trying to measure up to stuff that's already out there in the world and that's often my problem with with modded minecraft when it adds those structures is okay now i feel like whatever I want to build has to exist in a world where all of this other stuff exists as well, instead of the blank canvas feeling, the sort of lonely but hopeful starting out of a fresh Minecraft world is is sort of at stake when they if they decide to include more structures as part of the surface in the overworld. That's why I think the, the underground, especially with 64 additional layers to it now, has been such a great place for them to add new content, is because it's tucked away and you don't know about it, and so you don't have to look at it all of the time or take it down. Um, to your point to, about removing structures as well, we often underestimate quite how many blocks are in a larger structure, even the ones that we look at and go, wow, a, a, a woodland mansion is huge. I've taken down a couple of piglin bastions block for block. I've done ocean monument guardian farms where I tear down the entire monument. It's a huge amount of blocks. It takes a lot of time to erase, and it also requires a lot of storage if you're planning on keeping the materials and not just letting them despawn. So it's an endeavor, and if that happens to be like a larger settlement on the surface that you think, oh, I could just... If I just tore down this entire thing, if this didn't exist, then this would be the perfect place to build. It's either going to add to your workload, or it's going to maybe put you off building there at all, which is not what the game wants to do. I remember when I took down only part of our ocean monument to build the Guardian Farm, and I found myself laughing and thinking, like, in the process of removing the top of this and clearing out the water and shaping this place, and taking out the pillars, uh, I... <laughs> you don't need a prismarine farm anymore. <laughs> like I, don't, I don't need a prismarine farm yeah. anymore. Now, yeah. that was back when like I was building at much smaller scales. And now that I know the scope of the things that I'm, I'm capable of in Minecraft, it's like, okay, well, I'm glad I have the farm in case I ever need it. And and um, if nothing else, sea lanterns were a big, a big thing that everybody wanted on the server anyway. So it was more than just me. But yeah, like I, I do find that you do underestimate the amount of blocks that you would have to remove. I'd be curious to see how many, you know, blocks of cobblestone are in a jungle temple. It's it's probably a lot more than I I think because they don't use any or not many stairs. Like it's mostly solid blocks in the shape of the outside of it. Like it's very chunky. And uh and I'd be curious to see what that would that would have. I've seen some mods where they've added various jungle temples, you know, like very Mayan pyramid inspired stuff. Like there's a giant pyramid in the jungle and things like that and and 
I think it's neat from a gameplay perspective. If you're going on like the, I want to have more of an adventure map experience where I find this thing and then I have like several rooms, potential loot, uh, mob challenges, darkness, all that kind of stuff happening within it. And that's kind of cool. Um, but I often look at that kind of thing and think, well, maybe from a creative standpoint, because I'm a builder, like I either think like, well, one, I'd want to make that better and cool. That's a project. Like you can augment it and kind of make it your own. Or are you just like, well, I want to make it better. And I would rather have a blank canvas to do that. And that's kind of where I go. I go back and forth on this, but either way, like it's interesting that we don't even really get anything low lying. Like, um, I think there is a village that's supposed to be like a ruined village, but I've, I don't know if I've ever seen one in game outside of like screenshots and stuff. I've never come across one myself. They are, um, um the variants of existing villages. So you can find them in a few different village types and it's just a small chance for it to be abandoned. And what that does is remove a few of the blocks of the village structures at random and replace some of them with cobwebs. And then all right. of the village population are zombie villagers, most of which burn in the sun trying to get to you when you show up, uh, assuming you show up during the day. But yeah, like it, it's effectively a variant of an existing village rather than a set of structures in its own right. There's no difference in design between the normal village houses and what you get from an abandoned village. I'm curious as to whether there could be more happening. Uh, obviously, we don't have a lot of underground biomes right now. I mean, there's several more than there used to be, but it would be interesting if you'd have something on the surface. I'm going to use Stonehenge as just like an example because it's just what's at the top of my head, but something unique in Minecrafty that could indicate, oh, there's a dripstone cave down here, or oh, there's a new kind of thing down below. You should look here. And then players could either keep it, they could um, make their own story around it, but have it be something a little bit more um, like a like a landscape feature as opposed to like a structure, you know? Yeah. Uh, or just like in, in a lot of cases, and this is something you might be able to speak to, things like ancient Roman walls across, you know, Europe. And just there's just these natural stone walls that have just been decayed over, you know, a thousand years. And having that kind of stuff in little bits in Minecraft could be interesting, you know, like just... And again, it's more of a, a prompt rather than um, a huge finished structure that then has to be dealt with by the player. Yeah, yeah. Something a bit more like, you know, the ruins of an old fort, but the walls are only like waist high kind of thing. Yeah. So there's the, the footprint yeah. of a structure, but not any kind of, um, you know, established building guide for you or anything like that. You know, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Uh... <laughs> I I think they would if they implemented something like that in the game now there would probably honestly be a backlash to the minimal amount of effort that it was perceived that had been put into it because they were like they've added a new structure and they've just given us a bunch of stone blocks but I think if you're trying to emulate something like a ruined civilization that is long gone then that's one way of doing it I suppose our next email comes in from soupiest metal ice spikes or custom trees hi johnny and joel i've been listening to the podcast for two years now and love to listen while i mine for diamonds or mow the lawn i have a quick question for you in a server with friends i set up a castle as a base near it is a lake with ice spikes and cherry trees in the distance i needed a project so i decided to make a town around it with a little inspiration from westell the castle and town don't fit in with the nearby lake or biomes is it better to try and incorporate the natural terrain into my build somehow, or should I cover it with custom terrain? 
Soupiest Metal quit his first Minecraft world after seeing sugarcane, thinking it was an exploding green thing his brother had told him about. <laughs> Those stacks of green dynamite that I've been warned about. <laughs> That's pretty funny. And I also like the implication that mining for diamonds and mowing the lawn are either both things you do in Minecraft or both things you do in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was I was the the lawn mower when I was a kid. That was one of my household chores when I back when I lived with my parents. Uh, so you see, I was uh, I was the diamond miner in our household. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but I I understand the struggle to find something to listen listen to. Like when you're a teenager and you've got to take like even if it's only forty five minutes, like it feels like an eternity when you want to do other stuff. Oh yeah. And to try and get get through the chore, like to have something to listen to, is is great. But uh, I hope you're protecting your ears. I hope you don't have to crank us to. to hear hear us over the lawnmower <laughs> yeah yeah noise cancelling headphones maybe i i do that i listen yeah. to stuff when i mow the lawn now oh totally yeah for me it was music for me it was always like you know whatever music was in at the time I, there was no podcasts back then mm -hmm. <laughs> unfortunately man do i wish there was um to me it sounds like cherry trees and ice bikes are what drew you to the area in the first place so i'm gonna lean into that and obviously this is just subjective, but this is the kind of how I would probably approach this. And this is without noting, knowing the biome that the lake is actually in. So I'm going to guess just from Minecraft kind of statistics, it's probably something like a plains, maybe a forest, something similar. You might have a flower forest in there. Um, but rather than doing completely custom terrain, uh, which is time consuming and labor intensive. So if you're into that, then like maybe go for it. But if you're looking to maybe approach it in a step-by-step -step basis, one of the things you could do is, depending on the distance that the cherry grove is from your town, you can maybe take some of the cherry trees and start to pull them into the other biomes. So a cherry grove is really not terribly different from a plains biome outside of uh, the cherry trees and some of the pink petals in the ground. So you could do that, but with a little bit more of a sparse you know, spread on the cherry trees and the cherry blossoms or the pink petals rather and that could help kind of blend you know the area and kind of make it look like well maybe this plains gradually turns into the cherry grove and that could also you know tie things together nicely uh i think that you could also connect your town to the ice bikes and cherry groves with a road and similar to what i was talking about earlier with you know rpgs they do this all the time where you can control the player's kind of point of view by having a castle reveal when you walk around a bend you know maybe there's a giant tree in your way until you get around the tree then you say oh wow there's this really pretty vista and maybe that's just a cliff with a you know a valley or something and sometimes it's a big build like a castle or a dungeon or something and you could do something similar if you connected the town with the reason why you built there in the first place and then as a player or a server mate would walk along that road you could add points of interest like maybe there's a little um, vineyard or maybe there's a little cherry, you know, pie bakery or something that you could add there to kind of like bring in some sort of theme. And then again, you're not doing the entire biome. You're just kind of building detail where you want players to look and where you don't need players to look. You can just kind of pepper around some pink petals, maybe put an odd uh, cherry tree um, or depending on the distance, again, not knowing. Uh, you could actually go and get some of the cherry blossom leaves and use those in the town as like either decoration, maybe there's wall vines or anything that kind of would connect the two. And that way, when you're looking at the cherry grove in the distance, 
you can still see a little bit of pink happening in the town. I think that might help them feel more uh, in tune with one another. Yeah, I think I think there are lots of approaches here that don't all necessarily involve terraforming. Um, because the question really here is, do I build something or do I terraform? And I don't know if covering it up is even the the, the right approach, really. Like I think I think, like you said, blending it makes a little bit more sense. And I have seen a few instances in when I was picking out the seed for the survival guide this season, in which cherry grove and packed ice spikes ended up close together. And I think the two of them look really nice so i wouldn't necessarily want to remove those from each other because i think they make quite a nice complementary kind of like pastel color palette um so my my approach to this kind of problem would be to separate the town with some sort of hard boundary and take it in a slightly kind of more story focused direction or just sort of imagining in the fiction of the world why people set up the town there in the first place and do they have to battle against the elements if they are this close to a biome where there are large large ice spikes you know does does there need to be a wall built around there as though the town has to shield itself from these wintry conditions maybe even go with like a a slightly more game of thrones inspired thing where you are you're staving off the terrors of the frozen north um alternatively they could use it as a resource you know do the people of the town carve the ice and use that to keep ice boxes cold for long-term food storage if it's a medieval settlement then they would have to have some way of keeping food fresh and you know that's that's something that you can do in in real life big old chunks of ice you know um we even see evidence of that in minecraft in the ice boxes that you find in ancient cities so there's there's some some minecraft led inspiration to be found there so potentially pick a couple of the big ice spikes build a scaffold of sorts around them and make it look like the townspeople are effectively carving chunks out of them and that could be a fun way of connecting it thematically with the area that you're building without really doing too much um the other thing i was considering was separating the ice spikes cherry area and effectively treating that as a second project or a sub project where there are two kingdoms side by side and one has the medieval lake town aesthetic that you've worked on so far and maybe the other one is a bit more fantastical and they're sort of you know rival kingdoms that happen to be near each other or something like that you could go in a a a variety of different directions with it i think you also could give yourself license to consider making the builds there more of a collage instead of aiming for strict realism so if it doesn't quite make sense that the medieval town is there then maybe take some steps outside of the medieval town style you could take a road out to the cherry grove through this ice spikes and it could be like a pilgrimage to a an east asian inspired mountaintop monastery or temple surrounded by the cherry leaves falling um, and you don't necessarily have to stick to the same build style they've been using so far, which gives you an opportunity to get creative with it and push the envelope a little. Our next email comes in from Joel S. with the subject of non-GUI crafting clues. Hi Pix and Joel, other Joel here. In episode 274, you were brainstorming ideas for conveying right-click functionality to the player. What if, when your cursor is hovering over a nearby block, a slot on your hotbar would get highlighted if the item in that slot has right-click functionality with the block? For example, if you're holding an axe in your hotbar, it would be highlighted in some manner, maybe the icon pulses, 
anytime you hover over the game crosshairs over a waxed copper block or a log that could be stripped. Perhaps over time players would put two and two together. What do you think? The other Joel dropped his axe because it was pulsing too hard. Thankfully it didn't kill him. I think that's a pretty elegant idea. Yeah, no, it, it, it makes sense. It's um, the kind of thing that I've seen this in, I think games like Stardew Valley will do this, where if you can interact with something, it will kind of, the, the, the sprite will sort of uh, zoom in and out a little bit in the hotbar. It's kind of a difficult effect to explain, but I suppose, yeah, pulsing is kind of the, the right way of putting it, where if you can use a tool on something, it sort of holds your hand through it a little bit. And I feel like maybe it's the kind of thing that you could try and fade out over time. Like if you're hovering over an axe, an axe over a log and it goes, oh, okay, you can use the, the axe on this log. You can also maybe intuit from that that you could break the log with an axe as well. And that's the other problem, right? It's like, do does this confirm that the tool can be used to break the block or does it have another interaction and you have to sort of gauge what the game is trying to tell you? And then after a while, if it does it each time, you kind of think, yeah, I know, game, like, cool it. So I, I, I sort of wonder if maybe it does that the first handful of times, and then once you've interacted with the block a few more times, the game realizes, okay, yeah, you, you understand that mechanic now, we don't need to keep signposting it to you anymore. For me, that's what it'd have to be. Or a slider that kind of turns tips on and off uh, when it comes to that stuff, because... I think maybe I would find it a little distracting after a while if it was constantly like that. That's where my head went to, was that if this is going to happen all the time, it needs to be subtle. But if it's really subtle, our player is going to catch on. And yeah. there's that kind of back and forth. With people like me that play the game in a single world for years and years, then you don't, like, I know I know that I have to strip it with an axe. Like, I, I don't need it to be constantly reminding me. So um, I thought that, it, you know, one of the solutions there would be like, similar to the first time that you pick up wood you get that toast in the top right hand corner that that says like now you can craft a bunch of things or um i know that there's achievements in the game like the wax off advancement um sorry uh is uh in the husbandry section and that's kind of like a, a tip but i mean as someone that barely goes into the you know ad advancement section and i don't know how often new players do it so i i feel like relying on that is still not quite forefront for new players so i think that you know having something that maybe animates once you know like I, it's like the first time that you build an axe if there was some sort of thing that prop popped up you know and said like hey you can use an axe to chop wood and strip logs or just something to that effect uh i think would be great now again with pop-ups in game like i'm i'm guilty of this for sure especially when it's a game that i feel like i should know how to play where i won't read the pop-up because like we're just so used to pop-ups on browsers right you just dismiss yeah. them it's like just you know you just immediately get rid of them and you're like oh was that important <laughs> you know maybe maybe i should have read that before i got rid of the thing that was popping up in in my face because we're so used to that being advertising right and and so in minecraft it's it's a difficult balance but i do like the idea of maybe something in the hot bar my brain goes to, for anybody that's familiar with the Mac OS platform, one of the things that you can do with your dock at the bottom or the side, depending on where you put it, is that when you roll over it, they kind of enlarge, like they kind of go up and, and become larger. And in Minecraft, it is just a single box that like highlights your, your hotbar. And 
I'm one of the weird folks and, and please chime in if you're, if you're weird like me, I don't use the number keys across the top of my keyboard to switch to different items on my hotbar. I scroll with my mouse wheel. Mm-hmm. I've just been become really good at judging the distance and like a single scroll. I miss sometimes, but I can go like two, I can go three, I can go five. Like I, I can kind of move around really, really quick. And if, if that was something that would be highlighted and, and popping out in, in that way, then that might be a way to indicate to players. But I like your idea of there being a slider, just like we can control the nausea effect and the effect of going through another portal uh, if that became annoying or if it was distracting for players or too flashy, you know, people didn't like it, then being able to turn down the 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 tool tips, I guess, maybe was what they could be called. If you could either say like, no, I'm an experienced player. And that, again, could be something in the settings that could be quite communicative, which would be uh, turn up the tool tips. Uh, yes, I'm new to Minecraft. Please turn up all the tips or no, I've, I know what I'm doing don't show me any tips. And if that was like your sliding scale, then I think that that would be quite clear. Like, oh no, no, I'm new. I should probably leave this on for a little while until I know where I'm at, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, the game already has the advanced tool tips thing that you can toggle using an F3 shortcut on Java edition. Right. I, th- I think yes. ult- ultimately it would be about whether or not you could do this on Bedrock as well because you'd want it to be yeah. a cross-platform thing. So that's maybe a bad example. But yeah, like I, I think it it makes sense to have it be something that people who've been playing this game for a, a decade at this point can say yeah i understand how that works other than that i find that a lot of people if they if they play anything like me i accidentally right click on logs relatively frequently when i'm building whether it's because i want to block with a shield or i'm trying to do something else and i didn't realize i had my axe in my hand at the time so i think a lot of people discover mechanics like stripping logs entirely by accident and i think that's not necessarily a bad way of them understanding it because then if it's an accident if it's a mistake then it sticks in your brain more than it would something that you were told at one point maybe like if it's something that you can learn by doing even if you feel like you're doing it wrong at the time then maybe that's something that you you retain and then you experiment with later you think can i strip all of the other types of logs like this as well what if i do that with a piece of bamboo does that work okay it doesn't what if i do it with a block of bamboo it does so yeah you can kind of piece stuff together that way yourself it would be really interesting to see if any of the folks who do completely unspoiled minecraft let's plays like pirapito or whoever had discovered the uh strip log mechanic and and how they discovered it in the course of their gameplay because yeah, that that's the thing I'm I'm kind of curious about is how people already get that stuff signposted to them in ways that we don't necessarily think about because of how long we've been playing the game. Do you get the recipe for a hanging sign before you get strip logs? Like if you get a chain, do you get a recipe for a hanging sign that says you need chains and strip logs, even if you haven't discovered strip logs yet? I don't know. I want to say maybe, but I don't mm. know for certain what the trigger is for the recipe popping up for the first time. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. I'd have to actually try that in a fresh world to give you a definitive answer. And I'm not yeah. sure that's going to be particularly easy to like look up on the wiki right now or anything. But uh, yeah, I, I expect it'd be one or the other. But if you think about it, there aren't that many uses for chains. So I think maybe it would show up as a crafting recipe when you've got chains. But there also aren't that many things that require stripped logs either. So it could be an either or thing. 
or it could be that it requires just you know strip logs because that's the the largest amount of material involved in producing a hanging sign you definitely need those yeah my memory of this is from a snapshot so this could have changed but i'm pretty sure that i like as you know someone that does this show i knew that it was going to be stripped logs and chains going into the snapshot and i grabbed some logs and stripped them and then couldn't get the recipe to come up and i think i was then stuck looking for iron <laughs> forever yeah because I, I could i couldn't make the recipe without both but again that was a snapshot so like i, I don't i don't know if that's true our last email comes in from Rush C. More ancient mobs in Minecraft. Hi, Joel and Johnny. Trails and Tales focused heavily on the ancient past of Minecraft with pots and pottery sherds, trail ruins, new plants, and the sniffer. I think Minecraft has a lot of potential in this area. It would be nice if Mojang added more ancient mobs or biomes to Minecraft. Maybe a pink dinosaur-esque creature or a cherry grove-related sniffer or a new mob in lush caves, possibly an ice caves biome with Arctic themed creatures, something in oceans, and maybe some new fossil like items or plants to go along with them. What do you guys think? Maybe you could think of other ideas. I would love to hear your opinions. I've been listening to the spawn chunks for a few months. You guys are so technical and so easy to understand. Keep up the awesome work. Well, thanks very much for the compliment. That's nice to know that we're clearly communicating <laughs> all of our ideas because, man, the longer we do this show, the more there is to remember. <laughs> yeah. And and as you just found out, like there's also more to forget <laughs> in terms of the details. Yes. But I feel like you and I, even if we don't have the answers, we can usually like ask the right question to then find out later, you know, to, for prompting maybe listeners to be like, I don't know, maybe let's go test to see if that hanging sign thing works. And maybe that's how you discover, you know, how to strip a log with, with axe in, in Minecraft. The, um, uh, the answer is always to test it yourself. <laughs> I find, yeah. <laughs> well, that's fair. That's, yeah. uh, that's my, yeah, yeah. My, my usual response to anybody who's like, Hey, doesn't it work this way? I'm like, try it and find out and report back to me when you do, because that's how I learn sometimes too. So, I mean, obviously, uh, Rush is getting a fair amount out of uh, Trails and Tales. What what do you think would be a, a cool way to add more ancient mobs into Minecraft? See, here's the thing. I'm in two minds about this because I think about the ancient world in our world, and I get plenty of examples from that. Like, like I like the idea of something being out there frozen in the ice, in a frozen ocean biome or something. I think of the, the opening scene from Avatar The Last Airbender, where they discover Aang, the Avatar, just frozen in an iceberg in the middle of an ocean. And, like, that makes a ton of sense to me as a mechanic for finding stuff in Minecraft, because it can just sit there until you go to a giant iceberg where something is in there and it's like, you know, the egg of a woolly mammoth or something like that. I know everything in Minecraft comes from eggs, so eggs, mammoths, not normally the way that works, but, you know, whether it's a, a, a big kind of mob that's frozen in there and you can free it in a megalodon sort of way, uh, or if it's, you know, so something else that you find in a similar way. I like discovering the sniffer. I think despite the fact that people will complain it doesn't do a whole lot, I think it has bags of personality and quite an interesting way of reintroducing it to the ecosystem that feels like you're doing a good deed by bringing this mob back from the past so i think that makes a lot of sense but where i feel the game is lacking in history at least the history that the world itself can convey to you is in dimensions like the end 
And we talk about the end in terms of it feeling barren and needing more life out there, but I would love the idea of them approaching an end-themed update from the perspective of trying to tell more of a story about why the end is the way it is. Is the dragon protecting it because it contains wonders or because the dragon has brought ruin on the dimension? And are there reasons that the Endermen are you know, launching ships from these cities, are they leaving? Are they just exploring? Are they trying to find something that was lost out there? We know so little about it as a place, and they brought history to the Nether with the Nether update, which already, you know, the Nether had Nether fortresses at that stage, but the Piglin Bastions are ruined structures, so you naturally get a sense that they were a civilization at one point. You even find ancient debris there, and that's the stuff that has fallen away into the past and they are no longer the great civilization they perhaps once were so what does that look like for the end and its inhabitants if they want to unpack that mystery a little bit or give the player a little bit more you know fuel to the uh, the theoretical fire i would really love them to approach the history of minecraft in that way using the end dimension as a conduit for that rather than relying solely on the overworld because it feels closest to our own world it's yeah that you'd certainly have a lot of freedom in terms of whatever ancient mobs or ancient history that you would create because of course the entire thing is just completely fantasy and yeah that that would be kind of like a a blank slate for whatever you'd want to want to make in the same way that i guess the nether sort of is i mean the strider is wonderful and weird (laughs) and and uh i mean i could honestly even see the strider despite the fact that it walks around in lava, but I I could see the Strider being quite at home in the end in terms Mm -hmm. of like the color palette and the weirdness of it kind of looks like an Enderman, but with no arms, like that kind of a vibe. So yeah, that's, that's an interesting take. Uh, I went more literal with this. I I was thinking more um, just mobs that you would encounter in the overworld as a player. And I don't know like how strict minecraft wants to be about like adding purely fantasy stuff like the sniffer obviously completely made up for minecraft you know but what if there were other ways to bring in different cultures from around the world uh different fantasy creatures i mean obviously there's a dragon in the game but you don't see that in the overworld but i was thinking something along the lines of maybe like a bigfoot don't call it that but have it be kind of you know bigfoot inspired like and a, have that a, a be... cryptid of some kind basically yeah, yeah some, cryptid, something that's, that's a great way to yeah you know l- less frequently seen and um i feel like the warden is probably the closest thing that falls into that cryptid mm-hmm. category yeah. of like you you maybe don't want to wake it up kind of thing and i think that there could be a lot of fun and character and whimsy and that kind of stuff uh, i've recently seen a trailer for a movie called if which is a new family film about imaginary friends uh, directed by John Krasinski. And there's a large purple furry character voiced by Steve Carell. Uh, and that is kind of what I think of when I think about like a Bigfoot or a Yeti. Like I'm not thinking about something that looks like a giant gorilla. I mean like really whimsical kind of Miyazaki type inspired thing where it looks imposing, but then it acts like a child and maybe it's really friendly and maybe it brings you things or maybe you can give it blocks and it eats them and then gives you something back. That's a new building block. Like it polishes things for you or um, leads you to a new mineral or a new item or interactive thing in the game. I just, it could be really fun to have that kind of uh, almost like a spirit of the forest kind of vibe to something. 
And I think one of the reasons why I'm just going with that big character is like that tends to be the kind of thing that I like in in character designs. I like the big lummox, like the big lovable oaf, you know, Sully from Monsters Inc. Absolutely, yeah, 100% that kind agree. of stuff. <laughs> you know, that's kind of where I'm drawn. I always want. I like the big characters that are like this weird kind of like they're really physically imposing uh but then they're also very sweet like um ludo from labyrinth same yeah idea. yeah yeah and and i think that that could be really fun but i mean the challenge there is that big mobs like that take up space in minecraft and you gotta you know they gotta watch for bumping into trees and getting their pathing and all that kind of stuff done but that's kind of where my mind went um, and then in the same way that you went to the end and we're, and we're thinking about like how free and, and, and imaginary that could be, I was thinking that if it was a ocean mob that was a made up animal, like not like a real, real world ocean mob, uh, but something that was just completely new, that could be also pretty freeing as well, because things like, uh, avatar, uh, way of water, I think was the second one, mm-hmm. like the kind of things that they did there where, yeah, it sort of looks like a horse, but it sort of looks like a dolphin, but it works like a seahorse, like all the different things that they kind of weave into the um not it's not Navi or the name of the people. Pandora is the name of the planet. So the the Pandoran like biology and everything kind of looks unique, but you can sort of see the 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 DNA of the planet and everything. And it would be really interesting to see if, you know, you look at the sniffer and maybe they come up with something completely new, like different shape, different function, all that kind of stuff. But if there's some sort of like, oh, I can sort of see like the the way that the like the sniffer kind of looks like that kind of vibe in this new thing, it would be interesting if they kind of tied it to that kind of biology. So rather than going completely fantasy, they kind of make up their own, you know, biological history of of the Minecraft world and give players hints to that. And And again, not in a way where it's laid out maybe block for block but in a way that could inspire players to be like oh wow okay these sort of look alike i wonder what if i made you know a a sniffer new sea creature sanctuary or maybe i come up with something completely in between like that kind of stuff i think is really really interesting and i certainly think that they would have more luck and more fun with completely made up stuff rather than just you know adding new mobs like the armadillo is fine but i i think that i get really excited about things like the sniffer uh the allay like that kind of flavor to Minecraft is kind of where I just think, oh yeah, oh, this is really fun. I think in terms of history, it seems more likely that they are going to explore the history of the Minecraft world as its own thing rather than try to use Minecraft to explore our own world's history. They do that in much more abstract ways, as we'll hear in the uh, January 1st show with Archeoplays, but I think the mobs that they've added that are real world animals are obviously a an opportunity to learn more about that animal from our world but they don't do the same thing with real world landmarks or real world historical events or anything like that because i think a lot of those things deserve to be more abstract and minecraft has developed a kind of mythos of its own when it comes to the history of the world and what we presume has happened or you know and anything that lends itself to a story within minecraft so i do think it makes sense for them to continue to pursue that angle whether it's through structures or through mobs it makes sense to plumb the depths of minecraft as an original space instead of worrying too much about it being connected to real world history so i i totally agree with you i think you know the cryptids the ancient cities stuff like that are an effective way of telling a story that feels unique to minecraft 
and learning more about the world's ancient history without it being linked so specifically to our own ancient history. Um, that is where we're going to leave this episode of the Spawn Chunks. We have one more email that we will tackle in the render distance that comes in from another patron. So stay tuned for that if you're a patron. And if you aren't, you will have some information shortly about where you can sign up to be one if you're interested. But in the meantime, you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live when we record it every Monday once we're back into our regular recording schedule after the holidays. And we have our monthly Minecraft audio hangout that's going to resume in January so we can take a look at what everybody else has been up to in Minecraft that month. We currently have 329 patrons, which is down one from last week. There's plenty of room for more people to jump on board. And special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Mind Trip Media, Party Voyager, and Yitz. Thank you all for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us on social media at The Spawn Chunks, and a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about the show and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked at thespawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. Podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where the Minecraft Survival Guide is currently in its third season. I stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series. Probably going to be taking some sensible breaks over the holidays, but stay tuned for more on that schedule. And in the meantime, I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which is concluding with Season 9 of Hermitcraft, but will be back for Season 10. You can find us through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on social media. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm doing online can be found at joelduggan.com, including a link to The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. There's a new episode out with myself and Stephen ESC right now. I'm Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream at least three days a week. But as Pix mentioned, also taking some uh, breaks over the holidays, I would say probably experimenting with some other games as well. I, I do stick to Satisfactory and Minecraft mostly these days and over the holidays i like to try and throw in some fun new games maybe some indies just to kind of kind of go with the potential inconsistency of the twitch schedule as we're all visiting family thanks for visiting the spawn chunks the world outside is infinite happy holidays